A Reclamation of Art by Jonathan Coots. Then ours a friend to man to whom thou sayest, Beauty is truth, truth beauty. That is all ye know on earth, and all ye need to know. John Keats. Art is something that many people have a strange relationship with. A relationship further estranged by the broke or miserable artist motif, which says your art will only be recognized long after your demise. That isn't true. And art does not only belong to those people who want to make a living off of it. Who should benefit from art? Is it for everyone or only for those select few whom the muse has chosen? Merriam's-Webster Dictionary defines it as the conscious use of skill and creative imagination, especially in the production of aesthetic objects. Webster's 1828 is even more insightful and defines art as the disposition or modification of things by human skill to answer the purpose intended. In this sense, art stands opposed to nature, says 1828. Here we see that Art was originally intended to be skillful and serve a purpose. Yet still other stigmas surround art. One is the stigma that it is a feminine pursuit. Poetry, painting, beautiful language, these are all a woman's game. Nary a stoic man should pursue them. Mechanics, pipe fitters, masons, these people have no business, nor we think, frankly, desire to associate with art. But nothing could be further from the truth. If I am right, which I believe to be, then what should our relationship with art be? The question of what constitutes art is, I believe, the first part of our little puzzle. Art has become so subjective. Can anything really be art? The answer to that question is a definitive no. By definition, art requires skill and intent with a connotation towards excellence or even mastery. I think an important part of the definition is the phrase, especially in the production of aesthetic objects, meaning art must be beautiful. But isn't beauty in the eye of the beholder? To some degree it is, but the eye of the beholder concept is usually in regard to aesthetic beauty in humans. A Google Scholar search of the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, currently generates 81,500 plus results, primarily about mating preferences. This raises the question of what is and how do we describe beauty? In other words, is beauty in the eye of the beholder? Well, yes, people have preferences naturally, but when it comes to attractiveness, there are attributes universally considered attractive. Quote, of course, some aspects of attractiveness are pretty universal and may even be coded into our genes, reported researchers from Science Daily. For example, he continues, people tend to prefer faces that are symmetric. The same article goes on to quote that 50% of people will agree on what is beautiful and 50% will dissent. I wish to dally on this point just one moment longer. People do know what type of person is attractive. Fields of science, such as evolutionary biology, throw their hats into the ring to explain it. 
stating that our quote-unquote primal brain is wired to recognize what type of person will have the best genes and features to pass on to posterity. Even now, 50% of our population will agree with what is attractive. I posit that it is not evolution that tells us what is beautiful. Rather, we are wired to recognize beauty because beauty points to something or someone. We recognize craftsmanship. We recognize skill and expression in every form that it comes in, human or otherwise. These days, people seem to not like what art points to, which has led to this crisis of art. In my opinion, modern art sucks. I apologize if this offends, but that is simply reality. I would contest that I am not in this dissenting 50% of people when it comes to beauty recognition. Rather, that my statement is factual. The question is, why does modern art suck? What happened to beautiful works of artistic expression? Well, the expression, beauties in the eye of the beholder, is exactly what happened to it. The relativization of everything has not liberated but corrupted all of it. Quote, with art it began with the Impressionist, states artist Robert Florzak. He says that the standards of art have diminished every subsequent year after the Impressionists entered upon the scene. Monet's paintings are fabulous because he still holds to the old standards of style and skill, simply choosing to paint different things, no longer painting mythological tales or scenes of great historical import, he says. Yet, at, as time went forward, standards of what should be painted and how they should be painted went away, and we got surrealism, a more abstract version of art. Florzak's example was a picture of his studio apron passed off as a Jackson Pollock. Asking his graduate students, why is this painting good, they pontificated greatly. After their eloquent responses, they were embarrassed to find out exactly what it really was. This goes to show the ridiculous state of modern art, and the relativistic standards of what is considered art, let alone good art. Let's do an example of our own. Here is one work of modern art, the piece called White on White, and one work of classical art. I would like to see if you can distinguish the beauty between the two. Figure 1 is going to be the classic piece of art, which depicts the leaving of the Queen of Sheba, a beautiful painting. The other one is simply a white canvas with a white square, a different shade of white, painted a little off-kilter. It would seem to me that obviously one of these paintings is objectively better than the other. One from antiquity, the 1600s, figure one, the other from the late 1900s, figure two. I believe that the accepted definition of art describes only figure one. For many years, my grandmother worked as a popular art museum curator. As a result, we often visited that museum. Several years ago, a collection of paintings came in. And it's safe to say these paintings pushed boundaries. These paintings consisted of a slew of black women holding the severed heads of white men. Yes, boundaries were pushed, and political statements made. Did that equate to good art? Well, no. The paintings were grotesque and unseemly. Moreover, this example leads to another problem with modern art. Shock value. For example... Outside of canvas and paint, let's look to writing. There is another problem, and that is the politicization of everything. 
A good work of fiction must take on a divisive stance, so they think, or a prevalent political issue. Yet if one does not take the correct stance, then you are the very devil himself. Or, possibly, you are an angel, which in this modern day and age is a much worse thing to be. Moreover, a good work of fiction pushes boundaries. This much is true. What is not true is that it always must push any boundary, nor will any pushing boundary automatically produce good art. Shock value has taken over as a value, even a tenant of good storytelling and or art. If one is left unshocked, then the consumer is obviously unsatisfied, or so some creators of modern art believe. In fact, anymore, it seems that shock value is a direct substitution for innovation. If you can't tell an innovative story, then simply shock the consumer. If you can't create a good painting, then shock people, or maybe confuse them, and they will think that it is deep. If you can't give good advice, throw in an effort, and now you have written words to live by. In an article written in 2017, an analysis of book titles has found that from 2015 to 17, the prevalence of the F-word in titles has tripled. At the same time, the occurrence of the S-word in book titles doubled. Moreover, this phenomenon was not confined to one genre of self-help books. In fact, cookbooks have curse words in them, as do adult coloring books, which is a different problem altogether. Jean-Antoine, Hannah Van Landingham, and W. Keith Campbell found that since the 1950s, swear words in American novels have increased by nearly 28 times. Moreover, depending on the curse word, there is a range of 4 to 678 times more likely to appear. Which word is so much more likely to appear in American novels? MFR is 678 times more likely to appear in a novel in 2010, so imagine 2023, than in the 1950s. The question must be asked, has this broken barrier created better art? Is art more beautiful now that authors can comfortably write MFR in novels? The answer is a rather resounding no. Very few of the world's classes have swear words in them. The Brothers Karamazov, for instance, considered one of the greatest novels ever written, as well as The Lord of the Rings, these books have very sparse, if any, swear words in them at all. Few of the world's greatest poems or stories have uh, any, or the stories of antiquity rather, have very little, if any, graphic or explicit material content in them. Yes, some references to sex can be found. Nevertheless, Fitzgerald somehow managed to portray the debauched man of the Great Gatsby without graphically depicting lewd acts. Illusion is a lost art. When shattering barriers is the motivation for the art, is it, it is safe to say the art will not be good. Mores may or may not be broken by the nature of good art. Moreover, when good art breaks boundaries, it can be in the aspect of style, not always in the form of social norms. As stated, the express desire to break a boundary will typically not produce a good work of art. Good art points to something. What is that thing? Well, it is truth. It is, in fact, God. As it turns out, God is the first creative. It would stain to reason that his indelible mark on reality is creativity. 
Creativity is a capacity that comes from God, and so when it manifests on earth, it can't help but point back to him. Let's look at two verses, one from the Torah when God inspired the creation of the tabernacle, the other from the Old Testament at large when the Queen of Sheba saw the Temple of Solomon. Exodus 31, 1-6, King James Version states, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold and silver and in brass." and in the cutting of stones to set them, and in the carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. And I behold, I have given him Aholiab, the son of Ahimasek, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted I have put wisdom, that they may make all the things I have commanded thee. First Kings 10, 3-5 When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built... And when the queen of Sheba saw all he had seen, all of Solomon's wisdom, and the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters, and their attire, his cupbearers, and his stairway, by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. I maintain that what caused the queen of Sheba to faint, i.e. no more spirit in her, was the beauty of the temple. The beautiful creation, the wonderful work of mastery, dedicated unto the Lord, was beyond her. It is evident that beauty is not really in the eye of the beholder. Instead, it is apparent in reality. What is true is also beautiful. So when we want to create good works of art, we should seek to write or paint about what is true. Truth is not subjective. Moreover, we know that the Lord is in fact truth, and in his Son we have the way, the truth, and the light. So once I again I say, what is true is beautiful, and what is beautiful is true. And as Keats says, that is all ye need to know.